0: Welcome to Hidden Layers, the podcast that explores all the exciting ways marketing data and deep learning are colliding, along with important topics impacting the people powering our industry. Today's conversation is focused on mental health. As you may know, if you've been listening to recent episodes, we have been diving into topics that span both our professional and personal lives, because let's be honest, the separation of work life and home life has shifted from a stark separation of identity to an evolving acceptance that we should be free to be who we are in both places, simply striving to find the nuances and boundaries that work for us in each place. It's this wider openness and acceptance that allows us to even have this conversation on a company-led podcast today, which is a small win on its own. In recent years, the global mental health crisis has surged, while effective support and funding available continue to remain in short supply. Today, October 10th, is World Mental Health Day, a day intended to raise awareness and influence change. With this year's theme in mind, make mental health and well-being for all a global priority, we felt compelled to do just that with this special edition episode. We hope this episode serves as a resource and inspires you to challenge the status quo, learn more about the layered topic of mental health, and of course, the many ways, big and small, we can all influence progress at work and beyond. This is Hidden Layers. I'm Justine Frostad, VP of Marketing at Cognitive. Today, I'm joined by my co-host and wonderful colleague, Jason Pellegrino, Cognitive's Director of HR. Jay has over a decade of experience in human resources and a master's degree in human resource development. He is passionate about mental health in the workplace and the overall employee experience, and I'm thrilled to have him join us for this episode. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thanks for having me. I'm also excited to welcome to the show Alejandra Olivea. Ali is an experienced people leader with over 15 years of experience in human resources, talent management, and learning and development. She has dedicated the latter part of her career to supporting early-stage startups, establishing their people function and operations. Currently, she is head of people at Micmac, the leading e-commerce marketing platform accelerating online sales for brands. Ali oversees people ops, L&D, and talent acquisition. She also has a master's degree in human resources from NYU. Thank you so much for joining us today, Ale.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Of course. So I'd like to kick things off by first talking about the traditional role of HR and how it's evolved, because I think for many years, HR has sort of had uh, a questionable or bad reputation in some ways. In the last few years, we've seen HR departments shift from more of a process-centric function to a worker-centric function, focusing on employee engagement, managing community, and introducing people teams, in your case, head of people. So what are both of your thoughts on this evolution?
1: I have to say that in my experience, after being in HR for over 15 years now, when I started, HR was even still like a personnel department. You just went to HR when you had your individual issues and when you had your typical employee relations. When you had an issue with payroll, when you wanted to ask about your benefits, But it was not considered a strategic partner to leaders, to the rest of the leaders of the org. And so I am happy to see the evolution of HR or what I prefer to call people team to be strategic partners, to have a seat at the table with the rest of the leadership team of a company and to define what the strategic uh, path is going to be. How do we keep the company growing? How do we keep our employees developing and learning and very engaged to the company, not just for the sake of the business, but also for their own careers. We didn't see that before.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think over time, HR became to be an advocate for employees, where before it was more, to your point, kind of that administrative function, right? Someone came to you and you needed something and then you took that step to basically resolve whatever issue they had. Uh, When now it's really more about that strategic aspect of working with managers, understanding the needs of employees, and then making sure that you're delivering on those needs to the greater community.
0: I remember growing up, my mom was, she always has been a career woman, but growing up, my mom was a career woman, and she would kind of refer to the HR department at the time as the human remains department, <laughs> oh my gosh. jokingly. And so, you know, basically implying that it wasn't exactly the safe space that we might consider it today. And it wasn't a place, to your point, Allie, where people went for more of a strategic uh, life conversation that's more yeah. of a holistic conversation versus just like a one-off going to the principal's office or something, so to speak. So uh, seeing this shift throughout both of your careers, have you observed people actively changing uh, the way that they approach you or engage with you at work? Yeah, I think so for sure. I think it's more to with
2: the HR department being more proactive. So really reaching out to employees, whether that's through surveys or just general employee meetings, right? Inviting employees to come and just kind of share concerns, different ideas, and then taking those and bringing it up to senior management to, to make change, to make the company a better place to work.
1: And yeah, I would say that um, the difference of what I've seen is how my conversations with my leaders and my CEO has changed in the past 10 years. Whichever CEO I've had since then, it's about moving from a process centric workforce or workplace, like you were mentioning before, to a actually, hey, we are building a new product, we are expanding our market in such way. What is your advice on how should we how should we move on with the strategy of the company? What should we do around workforce? Does that change? The skill set that is required in our organization, how do we, do we need to implement more learning and development to reduce that gap? How could we proactively talk about what is the next step of the company from a people perspective? Those conversations were not had before. And it's funny you mentioned that about your mom. My family comes from a very entrepreneurial and a little bit of corporate experience. And when I told my family that I was going into HR 15 years ago, they were like, why? But it's because they had that view of that's such an admin process. Like that's a role that you could probably do a lot better somewhere else or in a different function. And now that I'm, I'm here now, now that I can talk freely about like the business and, and talk about the same terms that they have in terms of like the strategy and sales and the markets, they're like, oh, now we see the difference. Now we understand why you got into this. It's not just... What, what I hate that people refer to, the higher end fire department, mm. you know? Yes. You've probably heard this oh, as well.
2: Too many times. <laughs>
1: it's up there with human remains.
2: <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> so, I mean, you mentioned that people are coming to you and senior leadership specifically with with big questions, right, and important questions for both of you to answer. And do you feel a pressure to have a tangible impact at the company? I mean, because at the end of the day, yes, you're representing a people department or an HR department, whatever you want to call it, but you're also people yourselves, right? So how do you approach those big questions?
1: You definitely have the pressure of of providing that impact and showing that impact, right? Definitely, without a doubt. In the past few years during COVID, we saw the enlightenment of business in terms of HR, of what the people team can do and how can you... Use your people department to support your business fully and truly support your employees. And the expectation that comes from it is that you know the business, you know the industry, you know what you're talking about, and you also know the people. So we're coming to you for answers. We're coming to you for big picture ideas, initiatives. How can we survive this? What it started as a few months, this few years moving forward. And that's what I feel. It's the the biggest difference on the impact that we have. So you can see it. It's a tangible impact. We have conversations that are being listened to truly. And our word matters now. Our word has a lot of weight.
0: Yeah. And how do you both approach getting to know people in your organization?
2: Yeah, I think through two ways. It, obviously, informal and then formal meetings, right? So especially when I joined Cognitive, one of the things that I did was really meeting with the different groups specifically, just to really get to know everybody, learn a little bit about their background. And that's really also one of the benefits of working in a startup. You really have that luxury of sitting and meeting with people and really getting to know them as an individual versus a number. So really, those formal meetings, and then really the informal aspect of it all, right? So for example, at Cognitive, we do a ton of different community events where all employees can get together. like. Even tonight, we have a, a game night with drinks, pizza, really getting everyone together. And it's really in those informal interactions as well that you really can get to know the group closely because it's outside of work. So you kind of remove that pressure and all of that that employees may be going through in the day to day and then really get to meet with them kind of, quote unquote, outside of work. Right. To really see a different side of them.
1: I'm in a remote, a fully remote company. And yes, we do have an office in Soho, but our entire population is across the US and now some few countries in Europe. And so we have to be very, very intentional about the building relationships with your people because It's not like you're walking around your office and you meet them on the hallway and you say hi and you learn a little bit about them or you're in the kitchen. You know, you have to be very intentional. So we have to either schedule time to meet about specific uh, topic or... We have done the the typical, like the happy hours, the virtual happy hours, the full virtual events, bringing a magician, uh, cooking classes, uh, everything that you can think of. Sounds fun. <laughs> you, turn, you learn a lot. <laughs> and that kind of gives you a little bit more that experience that you used to have in an office of kind of like, oh, I didn't know that you really liked cooking. Let's talk about it. And in becoming very intentional, we use Slack we have a channel for absolutely everything that you can imagine. Dogs, cats, plants, cooking, yeah. everything. And so that gives an additional layer of connection. Look, I'm not going to lie. It's not the same as the human interaction in person, but it does make it a little bit easier to just connect with someone about their lives. And of course, then you have, like you were saying, like the more formal, like yep. you're one-on-ones with people mm-hmm. having, being in a startup helps a ton. Meeting everyone, knowing everyone's names, knowing a little bit about their personal life. That's why we stay in startup world, right? For sure. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's
0: interesting because you mentioned having employees in different countries, too. I mean, I remember the first startup I ever worked for, we had offices in different countries as well. And even though I guess we did an occasional video meeting, it really wasn't you know the Zoom-heavy Google Meets world that we live in now. And I think that that is kind of a bit of an advantage that we've all seen just getting used to communicating in that way. Although it's not always the same as in person. I think when you have people who are in different marketplaces, it does bring that kind of layer of connection. So I'm curious if both of you have have observed that.
1: Absolutely. Like you, my first job in HR, I was part of a, it was a 300,000 people around the world. So and I was part of this global committee in performance management. And we were having meetings, but it was calls with people in Japan, with people in Germany, with people in Chile, with people in Singapore. And we, I, I could not remember the names of those people because there was never that connection that we built. In, in the world that we live in right now, we're so lucky to have the tools and the technology To to be able to build that connection, put a face in front of you on a Zoom call or whichever platform, and just get to connect a little bit deeper with those humans. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think time zone obviously has something to do with it too, especially when it's global, because the meetings that you have, you know, they're so purposeful because you don't have the luxury of just having like, oh, you know, let's just meet and catch up a little bit because the time zone and the way they connect, you really need to utilize that time specifically for work. So that definitely has an impact there as well.
0: Yeah. And bringing in a couple stats, the COVID-19 pandemic has obviously exacerbated the mental health crisis, with estimates putting the rise in both anxiety and depression at more than 25% during the first year of the pandemic alone. So that said, the conversation around mental health awareness has never been, in my opinion, more public or more prevalent as it is today. Why do you think that is? And and what elements of the pandemic, in your opinion, have sort of normalized that conversation?
1: I don't think in our lifetime, there was ever an event that impacted the entire world, like the pandemic. And it put the conversation of mental health very much in front of us because we were having, think about it, we were in lockdown, wherever you were in the world, you were either most likely you were a very confined space living. You were not allowed to go outside. You had to do everything that you do in your normal life in a, in that very c- confined space. You had to grieve. You have to continue working. If you lost your job, you still had to manage your life from that same space. And I don't think there was ever a time in which all of us, no matter what position you were, no matter what role you had, and no matter where you lived in the world, you were going through the same thing. And I think that the pandemic showed how frail our existence is, and how we all need our networks, we all need our support networks to survive things like this. And in a moment where you're sitting at home probably with your close family, but you cannot see your parents because that becomes a threat, a health threat for them. And something happens to your parents. You have to deal with all of that in the same space that you are with the three, four people that are in your immediate family. You cannot just go out. You cannot go to the hospital and be with them. And so the pandemic kind of normalized that mental health is what we all go through when the situation and the circumstances change for everyone. I used to think, I'm guilty of this as well. I'm been in, in business for, again, fifteen plus years. And if I ever heard someone say, hey, I'm gonna take a, a sick day today because I'm not feeling well, I would always ask, What's wrong? Is it because I'm assuming it's always physical, right? In the pandemic and after the pandemic, you kind of acknowledge it's not just physical. Your mental health has an immediate impact on how you present yourself to your family, to your work, to your network. And so it showed everyone that we are all human beings in that way. And you cannot present yourself to work when you're not just feeling yourself, when you're not being who you want to be that day.
2: Yeah, I think a lot more people are speaking out now and there's just a lot more awareness to it because in the past, you used to always think like, you know, home life was home life and work life was work life. And this is really COVID kind of put that into perspective for everyone that really the line isn't so deep as you may have thought. I mean, kind of realizing that, you know, people kind of take that and you know, what's going on in their personal life and kind of bring that into work life and how that can impact their mental health. And, you know, it's interesting too, like at one of my previous companies, we we all got together and, you know, each week during COVID, we would do silly games, right? Like my boss would have us send pictures of our coffee mugs and then you would go around and guess whose coffee mug it was, things like that, right? Just to kind of keep the team engaged. Um, and one week we actually all got together and she was like, no, I actually want to have a little more serious conversation and, you know, you can feel free to participate. You don't have to participate, just listen to your peers and just really opened up the floor for people to kind of talk about their mental health and what they were going through and if there's anything anyone could do for them, right? Because some people were living alone and didn't physically see another human for three months unless they ran to the grocery store, if that. So really getting to open your eyes and realize how it really is impacting everyone and what everyone's going through. And it just really makes you more aware that people are people and not just, yeah. you know, you know, Susie in accounting, right? Like she has her own mental health to worry about. And you start looking at people as humans rather than just like a function at work.
1: Yeah, it definitely changed the conversation to be more human centric. All our jobs are, are way more human centric right now than what they used to be before the pandemic. And that includes mental health.
2: Yeah. And and to your point before, too, even about like someone's taking a sick day and you're like, oh, you know, like, is everything okay, Right. I remember one of my first jobs in HR. It was the most bizarre thing. So somebody called out that day and basically said, like, I need a mental health day and tried to use a sick day for that. And I remember the CEO and everyone in the office just being so stunned, like the audacity. How could she? You know what I mean? People making jokes like, oh, maybe I'm going to use a mental health day tomorrow. I need that, too. Right. And now almost realizing like the impact that mental health really has on people inside outside of work what it could do to their physical health if they don't take care of it and just very happy from hr people standpoint that that type of behavior just isn't tolerated anymore and there's so much more awareness and respect around if somebody says they need a mental health day to kind of respect those boundaries and really give them the space that they need for that time
0: yeah yeah i think i mean both of you very well said just to build on that a little bit that all of sort of the protective walls and the ideas and concepts that we had in place prior to the pandemic, you know, you check your personal life at the door and like no crying in baseball, thing, <laughs> but at work. Um, they kind of just got thrown into the wind because we all didn't have a choice, right? Like we were going through something unprecedented. We still are to a degree. And I remember for myself personally being – in an apartment in the East Village with my partner. And she, um, at the time, she's a nurse, but she was working in the ICU at uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering. So it was very heavy time. She's working overnight shifts and everything just felt so heavy. You know, none of us knew what was happening and just very anxiety provoking. And you're scared for someone you love and they're dealing with all of everything that was going on that I don't have to reiterate because we've all lived it. But you know, just having a conversation one day with my boss about something that seemed so trivial at the time that I would have cared deeply about before that. And I ended up crying over it. And I think it was like branded T-shirts or something. <laughs> and he just sort of stopped and was like, okay, whoa, what's happening here? And from that point forward, that wall had been broken down. And I remember getting off the phone and being like, Oh, gosh, like, I did I cried. Like, this is so mortifying. But then going forward, he started kind of checking in, in a respectful, you know, boundaried way, but asking those personal questions to make sure that I was okay and checking in on my significant other. And that felt um, so connecting and so meaningful to me, because it kind of built that relationship beyond just uh, we're doing a job together. It was like, oh, we're, we're kind of in this together and we are focused on work because, of course, we're a business and there's a bottom line and I have a job that I'm hired to do. But we care about each other and we have each other's back. So that really felt yeah. special.
1: And I'm sure at that point, you felt a lot more connected to the company and to the business. Yes. And you were probably your point of view changed to be more like, Hey, I want to be here for a long, the longer time. Cause if I'm going to work with people that actually care about me, this is a good place to be. And this is a good place to keep growing. Right. Absolutely. That, that has been the difference that I've seen. It makes a huge difference when you have a leader and, and a boss and manager that is interested in what you're going through and is interested in helping you. That has been a completely different world for sure. Yeah.
2: yeah, I think it even goes into like little things for mental health, like, oh, I'm going to run and get a, you know, I have a doctor's appointment today, right? Even just the fear and anxiety years ago, asking if I could, you know, duck out for an hour to run to get my annual physical and it would be like, oh, well, you have to use a half PTO day for that and kind of like realizing how ridiculous things like that sound, you know, so and I really think it is from like the top down approach. Like even the other day, we had our CEO send a message that he was going to get his booster shot and was going to be a little late to the office and just hearing that message from him makes everybody else feel Like, oh, that's great. I could go do the same thing and not get looked at it in a weird way or something like that. And just making sure that the culture is coming from above. Because really, if the CEO is really strict on things like that, then it goes down to senior leadership, which goes down to their teams. And it's just like a filter system from there of negativity.
0: Coming out of the lockdown portion of the pandemic and then evolving to the next phase where we all started going back into the office or some of us did or making the decision whether we're going to be fully remote or hybrid or whatnot. What policies do you both see now as sort of no-brainers that maybe prior to the pandemic wouldn't have been?
1: The no-brainer to me is flexibility. Whether you have a hybrid, fully remote, or in office is the flexibility of schedules. It's like you, I completely forgot about the time where I had to take a half day off <laughs> to go to a doctor's appointment. Now it's an easy, com- easier conversation. I'm saying, hey, I'm going to head out for an hour or two and I'll be back. And it's okay. That flexibility. It's a no-brainer to me. You by just having by just offering that flexibility for your employees to be in and out and trusting that they still will get the job done. How can you live without it, right?
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I know it's, I'm sure you'll appreciate this because with policies and people departments and all of that, it's always the debate of unlimited PTO because some people are like, oh, you know, you do unlimited PTO, but then everyone's too fearful to use the time because they don't have an actual physical bank to look at. So for example, at Cognitive, you know, when we rolled out our unlimited PTO, we set a minimum requirement and kind of put the burden on the managers to make sure that their teams are taking a minimum of 15 days a year. And that's Mm -hmm. the minimum. So making sure that people realize that you're setting what, the lowest bar should be for you to take time off to really make sure people are taking the time to, you know, obviously go on vacation, enjoy life, travel, but also kind of take days off when they just need a break, right? You finished a big project and you really just need a day to just do anything you want. You want to sit by the pool, you want to just sit in bed and read a book. Really finding that balance, I think, is key.
1: That's true. That's very true. Another no brainer for me is. We know that companies always offered the, the gym stipends, the kind of like more of the workout, the apps, the stipends or whatever. To me, it's a no brainer now that you also offer apps or any type of service platform that also helps with mental health. The comms and the head spaces of the world are now almost a must because you want to provide people with the opportunity to take care of themselves physically, but also mentally. And what a better way to do it from your own home if you want to, with one of these apps and platforms.
0: Yeah, and that kind of brings full circle to what you were saying before about always assuming that things are going to be wrong physically and not so much acknowledging the mental element. So talking about the no-brainer policies now, are there any things, policies, perks, ways of being that you foresee in the next few years turning into no-brainers that we might look back on and say, why didn't we do that
1: earlier? No pressure. (laughs) Like this is a very personal view on the entire healthcare system in the U.S. But a company now that doesn't support the healthcare plans of their employees in ne- in a however way they can is I can't even imagine moving into the future and companies still having their employees pay or not even offer healthcare benefits. I. I can't imagine being in a in a world where the corporate world doesn't have a full responsibility of the people that are working for them. And that is again very personal view of the healthcare system, but I, I can't imagine moving in the opposite direction.
2: Yeah, I remember years ago, too, when doing like plan design for benefit renewal, it really was the plans that like most plans didn't even support any sort of mental health service. It just wasn't in network, nothing like that. Um, And you see it a lot more now recently, where even in like the lower level plans, it's really more being accepted into the network, which is great. And to your point, of course, when companies can, they really should subsidize as much of the cost as they can for employees to make sure that you know they're in good medical plans, right, where there's lower co pays and things like that so when they have to go for a doctor's appointment cost isn't the issue it's just a matter of like you know you need the assistance you need somebody to talk to and you have that access and you know it's not like a monetary issue that's holding you back from seeking that assistance
0: yeah, exactly. I absolutely agree with you. I mean, I'm from Canada, so I have a similar <laughs> personal viewpoint. I mean, I love living in the US for sure, but the healthcare was mind-blowing and continues to be yes. mind-blowing. Yes. So, I hope that your prophecy comes true.
1: <laughs> Me too.
0: Speaking of another sort of hot button topic that's often debated, um, the hybrid versus the in office versus the remote workplace, obviously massive topic. And I know you mentioned LA you're fully remote, right? So which a model do you both feel is the best in terms of employee mental wellness?
1: I keep going back and forth on this one because my personal view of a workforce and this is based on my experience, right, is I loved being in an office. I loved meeting someone in the kitchen that I would have never had the chance to talk to. And I don't know, sparking a conversation of how great is are the bananas today. They're perfect. <laughs> and then you start a full conversation on that. that. It's very difficult to have that in the remote world. But at the same time, I am so happy to be home. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I am so happy to... Be with my partner at home and to cook lunch together quickly and eat it together and to walk the dog in the middle of the day for a, a mental health break. So it's, I want to say hybrid, I guess.
2: Yeah. Um, the the blend is definitely key, right? Because you, you even meet employees, right? Even from like a people perspective, you talk to different employees and some people are like, oh, I wish we could be, you know, remote every day. Right. And then other people are like, I live with my partner and we both work from home and that would be awful. You know what I mean? Like we would never get along. If that was the case, you need that break. So really, I think hybrid is key. You're kind of meeting everybody halfway, right? So you still get that interaction to build relationships, interact with employees. But then, you know, on that one work from home day, right? You're obviously still you know, meeting your goals and accomplishing what you need to do, but you go throw in some laundry, right? You know what I mean? You can load the dishwasher, just like little tasks in between what you're doing that really make your day and the stress and all of that so much less. I even look back and I'm like, I don't know how I used to drive like an hour and a half to work, work eight hours, drive an hour and a half home and do that five days a week and then still have time to do other aspects in your personal life, right? I guess you would just jam it in on the weekends, which is never fun. So really, I I think that balance is key.
1: Yeah. And I still, it's hard, right? Because you can have a hybrid environment when you have locations across the different cities. But if you're fully remote, it becomes a little bit more like, okay, we have to be intentional about, about let's have the people that are closer to Chicago to go out in a happy hour or to start building that even if they're not working every day in the same space have them connect in a in a different scenario maybe a more social scenario go uh, ha- go bowling maybe we have a volunteer day for those people and try to get as much as many people as possible from those locations whenever i took a day from home it was always packing in as much as possible that i could do because I, how, how could I do it the other way? I would be home at 8, 9 PM every day after work. And I was like, oh, I'm too tired to do laundry right now or to do anything. Totally understand that. And now it's just easy. It's just easy to have the, the flexibility to do that. And that goes back to where we started the conversation of you have to have, offer that flexibility as a company for your employees to have that balanced work life, even though it doesn't fully exist,
0: line. (laughs) Totally. I think there's also nothing more satisfying than having that sort of blended personal and professional to-do list and ticking it all off. You're like, (laughs) yes, I nailed today. I mean, there was a time not so long ago during lockdown where we were all forced to be fully remote. Do you think that that sort of set us all up to feel a pressure to be always on in a way that we weren't before as well, in terms of responding to email or working later than you might have normally? And do you think, if so, has that spilled over into companies that are fully remote?
1: I have been extremely lucky in my experience. I, yes, the shift from being in an office to fully remote definitely Remove that boundaries of I'm at work and I'm I cannot respond to your emails right now versus you're always home, you can always respond to that email. I changed jobs during the pandemics, and I have worked for individuals that have always understood that nothing is that immediate go take a, an hour walk and then come back and respond to that email. So I, I have been extremely lucky. I cannot say. That everyone has had the same experience, and I'm sure that most people feel like they have to be on 12, 14 hours a day just to show that they're contributing. To the business. So
2: Yeah, I really think it's about open communication too with your leader I and mean, kind of setting those different boundaries, right? So for my team, there's some times where I'll be on at nine, ten o'clock, eleven o'clock at night, and I'll fire off ten emails, things like that. And I always set the expectation with my team just for their own mental health as well. Like you have no obligation to respond to me when I send you an email at eleven o'clock at night. That's just how my mind works and what works for me sometimes if I have some extra time to, you know, send some things out, but really making sure that they're aware that your lines of work hours don't blur that because I just sent you an email, right? Like that's just how I'm doing it, but you can answer it in the morning when you're online and you're working at a time that works for you. So really just setting those boundaries and having that conversation with your team to make sure that they really understand all of that.
1: In my company, my current company, we created guidelines, for meetings and guidelines for how to be remote and we're very focused on mental health one of the things that we changed is how about that email that you're sending at 11 p.m why not schedule it to go at 8 a.m the next day so that the person looking at their phone I, they're playing sudoku on their phone and they get the email <laughs> notification at 11 p.m and they're like oh my gosh Do I need to respond to this now? And then it's on their head till the next morning. So we we got the scheduling addition app to Slack.
2: Oh, okay. So that you can
1: send it the next day. And then they came on with their own thing. And same for for emails. Why not just schedule it to go the next day so that nobody feels the pressure? The job still gets done and you don't get that notice on your phone saying like, oh, (laughs) <laughs> the instant anxiety. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's funny. I like that.
0: Yeah, it's yeah. funny that you say that. I started doing that recently because similar to you, Jay, it's like if it comes into my mind at night or something, I am just the type of person where I'd almost feel more anxious. Like, am I going to remember to send this in the morning? <laughs> but I've started scheduling it and it does make a difference because it's like off of your Plate, so to speak, and out of your mind, but then you don't feel like, oh no, they're going to get this ping at 11 and feel like I'm (laughs) a psycho. one of the, the other things that I wanted to cover today was burnout, right? So according to Compsych, a study that they did, 57% of employers say that employee burnout is affecting turnover, retention, and productivity at their company, with approximately 40% of people saying that they're concerned about employee engagement and morale. So how do we recognize burnout in ourselves and in each
1: other? I recently had a conversation with someone who was saying to me, I wake up every morning, I open my eyes, and I immediately dread the day. And that to me is the biggest sign of of burnout. You are not looking forward to working, doing what you have to do in your personal life. That is a sign of bigger issues, I'm sure. But if that is not burnout, I don't know what else is. When you are dreading every single meeting that you're having or a conversation for work, when um, you stop caring, that is full burnout. But it shows up in different ways for people. I'm sure that for some, uh, they don't have the chance to say no to things. They don't have that. that they haven't created those boundaries to say no to things. And so they just keep doing it and kind of like push the feelings of not feeling well to the back of their heads kind of. It'll go away eventually, but some other people are very much aware of what they're going through. And that goes back to, of course, being very flexible, talking openly about mental health. It's very hard to identify it in others when you don't know that person well. And even then, sometimes people just feel like they have to hide what they're going through and their emotions and their feelings in the the work scenario. So I don't know the answer to that one, to be honest.
2: Yeah, it's a little bit of a management style, too. Like, I've had managers before that would never ask me, like, you know, how's your workload right now? Do you feel like you can take on more? Are you overwhelmed? And then you finally start working with leaders who start asking those questions. And it changes you as an employee and a future leader to really be cognizant to realize people really may be overworked, but may not be speaking up about it or honestly may not even notice it. And that really is going to impact their mental health over time. So really making sure that you're having those open communications and during your one-on-one check-ins, you know, always start the meeting just asking the employee, how they're doing? How are their weekend plans? Get to know the employee, right? Then kind of moving into a little bit of like, how's your workload and checking in on that before moving on to assigning new work to them or something like that. So you're really understanding how their workflow is and if they can take any more on and if not, What's not priority? What can you take away? Give to somebody else and kind of allocate and shift that work around to try to avoid the burnout of certain employees.
1: Jay, how do you have that conversation with your leaders and, and kind of like helping them understand that is a conversation that needs to happen? You should be asking these questions. and
2: Yeah, so especially with leaders for mine, I'll always loop back with them and kind of give feedback that I'm getting for my team, just kind of on overall flow. You know, and if you really feel that there isn't, enough bandwidth, right, to really get projects done, sitting with senior leadership and saying, look, like, I know that we set these goals, right, for this, you know, year period, six month period, but really what's priority and what's not because priority is keeping my team here engaged and working hard and doing their best work. And you're not going to get the best work if we have these six goals we need to finish. And you know, they're all need to get done. You know, is there maybe one or two that we can take and kind of push to the next six month period or the year period, right? Is that really something that needs to happen now? Because priority really, Really should always be on the employees because that really is the best resource for the organization.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think burnout, I mean, it's obviously such a huge topic now more than ever before. And I think it's great that it's being like a, a legit, it's become, I should say, a legitimate conversation versus people just throwing it around but not taking it as seriously necessarily. And one of the surveys that we flagged for this podcast was one from Deloitte, and they surveyed a thousand full-time employees in the U.S., and 77% said they experienced burnout at their current jobs, and more than half of them said that they felt it more than once. This was true, even though 87% of respondents said they have passion for their job. So what I'm getting at here is, I mean, sometimes it's easy to think this is the wrong place for me, or I'm in the wrong role, I'm at the wrong company. But really, it you know, that doesn't necessarily have to be true. You could love your job. You could love the people you work with, but you could simply just have way too much on your to do list or things going on in your personal life. So I think recognizing that and having a wider understanding of that from the top as well, to your point, L.A., is so important. I know in my own career, I just sort of got used to doing a lot under a ton of pressure. And it was sort of the old, uh, in a lot of ways, the old school way of doing things where like you just get it done. And it doesn't matter if you're working till 11 and you've got to get up at yeah. seven, you just do it. And you were rewarded and sort of praised for that and being able to to function and operate that way. So I think um, something I've learned over the years is that just because you operated that way and you were able to do it doesn't mean that that's necessarily the right way of going and also evolving yourself to recognize burnout on your own. So I think for me too, I notice that I'm feeling burnt out if I have no ability to tap into my creativity, being on the marketing side. So I've started to implement, you know, starting my day by doing something for myself, even if it's small, making coffee and going for a walk with no email, or it could be meditating and yoga for some people or something (laughs) much smaller, just taking a long shower, whatever that is. So do you have any tips for people similar or along those lines as to what they can do to sort of tap into prioritizing themselves and recognizing their own boundaries?
1: I think what the the latter part is, is the important thing, is recognizing the importance of having boundaries. Like you were saying, I we probably have been in the, you just get the job done no matter how many hours it takes and no matter how tired you are, you just get it done. And that's what you're going to be praised for. And recognizing that's not an efficient way of dealing with work and even your personal life is the first step, I guess. And uh, understanding that, you should set yourself boundaries in terms of hours, in terms of spaces, in terms of conversations that you're having. And of course, in terms of workload is is the next one. I finish my work day at six, unless there is something absolutely incredibly urgent that requires my attention after, my workload will continue tomorrow at 9 a.m. But it's setting those boundaries. And I think that one of the worst things that we have these days, and also one of the most amazing things, is technology. We all live with our phones in our hands. It's the extension of our hands. And so it's very easy to go on a walk, but still have your email on or your Slack on, or you're having that conversation with someone on the phone. But it's creating the boundary of this is my personal space right now. This is my personal hour. I go to yoga, I try to 15 minutes before, 20 minutes before class, try to like do more like a meditation, leave the phone outside of the room and, and that works for me. And I'm not great at it, to be honest, but this particular thing works for me. So finding what makes you feel comfortable and relaxed and like you said, for you is creativity and what is going to get you to that, that um, headspace. It's hard. I'm not going to lie. It's hard, right? to understand what are our boundaries, where are we most effective in our personal life and also at work. That to me is the the first step, understanding that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the burden also should fall a little bit on the company too, to kind of realize different things about that. Um, I heard of a company, it was actually a Canadian company where they would schedule, it was either like one or two hour time slots throughout the day that were like, you can't book meetings with employees during that time period. And so it would either be for them to really focus and kind of, you know, work that they have to do, making sure that they're getting that done, right? Or if they wanted to use that time to go for a walk, unwind, take that break, they were able to do that during that time slot. And it's company-wide that nobody would schedule time during that meeting. So it wasn't even just your department, right? And then you're having to explain that to other departments and set boundaries there, right? Because the company set that boundary for all of the employees as well.
1: We have no internal meeting Fridays.
2: Oh really? Oh, yes. okay. Wow.
1: Yes. So of course we still have a very few meetings here and then, but it's more like the urgency of the moment. So we try to schedule meetings with employees from Monday through Thursday, and Friday it's more like, okay, this is incredibly urgent, so we have to do this. But the policy is no internal meeting Fridays. That's great. It definitely helps. It yep. it helps people get be on their own time, uh, work at their own pace, focus on on. We're in meetings all day long. It's crazy. And so Friday is kind of like a day to be like, okay, this is where I get to do my work and and focus on what I want. That has been a huge, huge, huge help for the company.
0: I think boundaries, like you said, are so important and things like that are amazing. How do we as leaders, as companies ensure that people who are working on setting those boundaries and they end work at a certain time or whatever it is, however they, they schedule that... Aren't hindered from climbing the ladder or growing in their career because I think I've heard some some things in the past too of people saying, "Oh well, that's the type of person who ends early, or they, you know, they aren't available at night because they don't operate that way." And it's almost um, seen as a bit of a, a bad thing in a sense. So I think I guess just working on the rewiring. Of that old school notion that if you're always on, somehow that's better or you're a better employee.
2: Yeah. I, again, I think senior leadership really needs to set that expectation, right? So, for example, you know, you're talking about mental health days and somebody's going to take that day, making sure that the senior leader is on board. And even, you know, if it's in a meeting, like, oh, why is Jay not here today. Right. And it's just like, oh, he took a day for himself. He'll be back tomorrow. Right. Instead of, you know, a little bit of an eye roll or a shrug like, oh, he needed a mental health day really set us back because then you wonder, right, like kind of what's being said about you when you're not in the room. And so it's really a great way to make sure that leaders are on board with it, because then the rest will trickle down to the employee base.
1: Yeah, it's it's uh, it's leading by example. The only way that you can change that mindset for your employees and and, and how your company operates is with senior leadership. Totally agree. How do you communicate?
0: I'm curious with your own teams and how do you set boundaries about what you're going through on a personal level or your own mental health?
2: Yeah, I'll always share things about myself with my team. I'll ask about their lives, what's going on, how they're doing. It's interesting, right? Because you have some employees that will tell you the world when you sit Mm -hmm. down with them to kind of talk. um, And then you'll have employees that, you know, be like, oh, how was your weekend? What'd you do? Oh, good. Just hung out. You know, and aren't willing to share or anything like that. If you question like, hey, how's everything going? You don't really get much information. But I think it's important as a manager to just always make sure that the doors open. So at least you say you kind of set that expectation, set that boundary that you can come and talk about things outside of work, right? You know, as long as they're professional and appropriate and all of that, right? But kind of having those discussions and kind of making sure that you have that personal relationship with your manager is is huge.
1: Yeah. I think you're right. It's it's about opening up. I have a meeting with my team every Wednesday and it's our entire team. And we most of the times we have an agenda to talk about things, but also a lot of times we have nothing on the agenda. And the idea is, let's just, how's your day going? Oh, someone came back from vacation in Cancun. Tell us about it. And that goes into 30 minutes of just bonding. And it's about the fun times that we're all going through, but also about, Life in general is very, it's much easier to have a conversation with someone saying, like, Hey, I'm not feeling great today. You know what? Today I won't show up in video. I'll take calls. I don't feel like myself today when you have already built that connection with your people than if it's just work based. It's very hard to be open about it when, when it's just work related things. So the way that we connect. It's definitely in this weekly meeting. Of course, we have one-on-ones and and other meetings around. But it's just like keeping it casual and easy and just setting the example.
0: Speaking of bonding, when it comes to company get-togethers, I know you were talking earlier about because you're fully remote, people have to be a little bit more intentional about getting together for those things. But when it comes to virtual happy hours or game nights like we're having tonight, you know, things like that. What are your thoughts in terms of whether they should be optional, whether it should be
1: mandatory? Optional.
2: Always. Always
1: (laughs) Can you imagine being forced to go to happy hour when you do not drink? No. Yep. Or going to a workout class when you don't work out? optional. Always
2: optional. Without a doubt. And even from a mental health perspective, there's just some days where all you want to do is just be left alone, because that's what you need to do in the current mind state that you're in. And I feel like in the past, it was always the mindset of, no, get out there, go, you know, hang out with everyone, you'll feel better. And kind of now understanding that that's not always the case. And sometimes when you want to be left alone, you just want to be left alone. And so making sure that you're just aware of how people respond in different ways to different outings or events mm-hmm. and things like that. And just making sure that you're, you're not forcing anyone to do anything they don't want to do because that is just not going to be beneficial for their mental health in the state that uh-huh. they're currently in.
1: And I think it's, it's great to understand who your people are, what they like, what their interests are, so that you can create events that tailor to different groups. So if you always have just happy hours in your company... You're not being inclusive of the entire population in your company that, one, do not drink. Two, maybe have families to go back to and they don't have the the time to be at a happy hour. There's so many ways to connect. There's so many ways to bond. And you just have to find out what works for your for your company. Who are your employees? What do they like? What do they do on their free time so that you can start putting events together or Plans or programs towards those things and not things that people just won't like.
0: One of my close friends, she works for a company and they are mandatory for everything that is bonding. So she's coined it punishment. I just thought that was so great. But I, I think it's tricky, right? Because I totally agree with you. I think everything should be optional in that arena. But if leadership, say, came to you and said, well, this person hasn't participated in anything and everybody else is. They're not bonding with people. They don't fit in with our culture. What would your response be? And how do you navigate situations like that?
1: My first question would be, have you ever had a conversation with that individual about what's going on in their life? Why are they not participating Maybe it has nothing to do with work and it has to do something with their personal life. And that's okay. But this, this whole thing of people being fully dedicated to work and fully engaged to work without any restrictions has to change. We're talking about mental health. And to me, if an employee is not showing up to these events and they don't participate and they don't seem to engage, there's definitely something else going on. And look, it might be something like, I don't like being in large groups of people. But the question is, how do you identify that? Who is who is asking that person why they're not participating, why they're not engaged? It all comes back to being inclusive and being intentional about what you're trying to do. It's not bonding for the sake of bonding. It's to actually create connection, right?
2: Yeah. And even the check in with employees on their interest level, right? So I may say to that senior leader, you know, have we done any... Employee check-ins, right? To see what actually interests people, you know, cause to your point before about happy hours, you know what I mean? It seems like that's always the go-to. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, we're going to have a company happy hour, get everyone together. But again, some people may not drink or, you know, they may just not have an interest in doing that. So really checking to make sure you're doing different activities to really get different people involved. So really having that conversation with the employee and, you know, level setting in the beginning, you know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with you not attending. We would love to see you there. Are there some, you know, interests or events or ideas that you have right to kind of pick their brain a little bit for additional ideas right like this is our first game night tonight which is a little bit of a shift from just kind of standing around at a happy hour just talking so even if you don't want to drink you can play games there's something else to do you can have movie nights there's other things you can do with employees aside from just you know one single event and kind of making sure that everyone feels included and in their interests match right
1: that's a big thing yeah
0: the great resignation is also a massive topic i feel like i've read that everywhere everywhere and anywhere in the last six months, what do you think are going to make companies really stand out going forward, even in the next year or two, in terms of attracting and retaining talent?
1: I think we kind of have moved away from the great resignation. Now with the potential downturn of the economy, that no one can actually tell us whether it's (laughs) happening or not. But I do feel that that has changed and that has set up a new precedent in the past few months. I think that people are actually afraid of leaving their jobs because there's so many layoffs happening around that it has changed the mentality of, I'm going to quit and go hiking for a full month and then come back and try to find a job. People are a little bit more afraid to do those things these days just because of the economy. Unless, of course, you have unlimited funds to do what you want and then come back to work in a year whenever you find a job. That's fantastic. but. I do I do think that that has changed a little bit in the past few months. The companies, again, and I don't want to sound like a broken record, but flexibility. The more flexible your company can be and the more flexibility you offer in terms of schedules, in terms of hours, and in terms of work, you're going to stand out. We had an employee, I think it was last year, who worked from different parts of the world. For a few weeks, they moved on to the next thing. The, the, your typical digital nomad, right? That didn't make any difference for us that she was going around the world and working from different, not at all. She was incredibly engaged. She was incredibly happy that we allowed her to do that and kept her engaged. And that stands out. You may want your entire workforce to come back to an office, but you have to offer some sort of flexibility for people to take care of their own lives and, and live fully. That's what I feel Will make a big difference.
2: Yeah. And I think it's about, too, like realizing that times have changed and what employees value is completely different. Like, remember years and years and years ago, like the big thing would be like, we offer health insurance, right? And that would be like a big perk for employees, right? And nowadays you're like, well, I would hope so. You know what I mean? Right. So, little things like that, you know. And then for a while there was the big kick of, oh, you know, there's a pool table in the office, there's video games, right? Like that type of thing. And I kind of feel like we may even potentially be moving away from that and people value, to your point, the flexibility at work having potentially a hybrid work schedule, having access to mental health resources, right? There's a total shift in terms of what employees want. And I just think it's very important for companies to kind of keep up with what the employee needs are across the board to kind of help battle the fight for talent that's currently going on in the industry.
0: What is the coolest or most innovative perk or policy you've come across? Not necessarily at your own organizations, but just in uh, conversations or observations.
1: We created health days. So instead of taking a sick day at work, you take a health day. No one is asking you what it's for. Nobody's asking you whether it's physical or if it's mental. And it's removing the idea that taking a sick day is a ne- has a negative connotation. If you're taking a health day, you're just taking care of yourself, whichever way it is. I think it's super cool that we get to say, hey, I'm taking a health day today, and, and everyone in the company understands what that means and appreciates that we offer it and feel safe taking the time off because they're not their best that day for whatever reason i think that's pretty cool to be able to say that that's
0: awesome i love that because it kind of flips that narrative on its head about it being a negative to your point like i have to be sick to take a day (laughs) Mm -hmm. and you're being a bit proactive and taking care of yourself
2: yeah, so I mean, one thing we do at Cognitive, which I don't know if it's groundbreaking, right? But if you really compare it to the connection of of mental health, uh, we offer a lunch benefit to all employees, so they're able to expense their lunch each day. And a lot of times, you know, you see employees like, "Oh, I was so busy, I didn't get a chance to eat today, or I didn't, you know, get up from my desk to do anything." And really making sure that you know you're giving them that encouragement to basically go out, get lunch in the city, take a walk, you know, really get up from their seat, and then maybe talk to other employees if they want to. If not, sit at your desk, sit alone. Whatever works for you but really making sure that you're just having that clear cut and encouragement to get up from your desk and break for that lunch period throughout the day i think is pretty
0: cool
1: i would love that too <laughs>
0: <laughs> let's fuse these and, we'll yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. and apply them across the board <laughs> a final tip or thought for organizations striving to play a more actively supportive role in the mental wellness of their employees
1: set the example We've said it a few times. Yep. If your senior leadership is not taking care of themselves, is not showing it to the rest of the employees, if they're not being open and honest about what they're going through and what they need of their employees and what they want for for their employees, nothing will ever change. If you have a leadership team that is fully aware and dedicated to taking care of their people in the many different ways that I goes for. That is, I mean, my, my biggest recommendation suggestion. And like, how are you not doing this these days?
2: Absolutely.
0: Well, I think that's a great place to wrap. Thank you both so much for being here today.
1: Thank you for having me. This is fantastic.
2: Thank you.
0: This has been another special edition episode of the Hidden Layers podcast, and we hope you'll join us next time.